Hello and welcome to the Bird's Eye View podcast. We are back after a interesting week in Blue Jays land. I think that's safe to say. A 2 and one series win over the San Francisco Giants and then another sweep at the hands of the Boston Red Sox. I am Zach Warden, back today joined by Jory Negan Schechter. We have a special guest guest today as we tee up the upcoming Chicago White Sox series. Elijah Evans joins us. But before we get to that conversation, Jory, how are you doing today? I'm doing great beyond the fact that the Blue Jays are once again a catastrophe and uh, the worst team in baseball, apparently, because we are no longer back. It is over. A lot of we're back. It's over. We're back. It's over. We're back. It's over for the Blue Jays this year. But they have four All-Stars. That's also news this week. Four All-Stars heading to Seattle from the Toronto Blue Jays. I guess. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, I'd say three three good ones. And then also uh, Whit Merrifield's also there. Um, but uh, we'll get into that. Yes, we will. We will get into all of that and the recent news in Toronto Blue Jays land after we set you up with our conversation with Elijah really enjoyed talking with him he uh really gave us some great insight into the series and you know gave us a little bit of trade content I think as we talk about the Jays and White Sox are a perfect match when it comes to a potential trade as we head into deadline season but yeah, what else what else did you take away from the conversation? Yeah, the the biggest thing I think was the Lucas Giolito comments were so interesting because to me the perception of him for me he's not an ace anymore, but I still think that he's a really really valuable pitcher. And some of the trade proposal stuff we talked about in terms of who might be enough to get it done for Giolito really surprised me in a lot of respects. Absolutely. Well, with that said, hopefully that whets your appetite a little bit. Here is our conversation with Elijah Evans, a writer at Just Baseball, Future Socks, and Socks Machine. All right, we're now joined by Elijah Evans, a writer at Just Baseball, Future Socks, and Socks Machine. Elijah, thanks so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you hopping on. Yeah, for sure. It's great to be here, guys. I'm looking forward to talking uh, some Blue Jays, some White Sox, uh, and everything else going on in the league. Yeah, so the White Sox have actually been a little bit better since they came to Toronto in April. They they were 7-20 and 20 in April, but since, you know, they've been playing above 500, so things have maybe turned around a little bit there. What's kind of changed with the team since we last saw them up here in Toronto? Yeah, I think you look at the White Sox roster, and I think things have flipped a little bit in terms of the pitching um, offensively. We will get into that later. I mean, offensively, it's really been a few main sources and that's about it. But pitching wise, you know, we've seen a lot of guys bounce back. You know, I think coming into the season, people were really worried about Lucas Giolito and how he was going to fare after a career worst year last year. And he looked great. He's been probably the Sox best pitcher uh, since that time in the year. And then, you know, a Dylan Cease and a Michael Kopech, you know, Cease started a little slow. He had a few really rough starts early in the season. He's kind of figured out he's getting back into his form. He's not quite where he was last year. You know, last year he was a top five pitcher in baseball he's not there um, but he looks a lot more like himself his sliders back in form uh, and then Michael Kopech starting to kind of show the the signs of a real quality starting pitcher I think it's he's always had the potential but it's been a little bit rough going for him the last year or two just trying to find his groove in that starting role so you know those three have really been making things happen um, starting games at least you know giving the team a chance to win every given day 
And then the bullpens looked a lot better. I think we've had some some lower small name guys that have really just stepped up the White Sox. You know, you got guys like Keenan Middleton and Gregory Santos who were not expected to be anything significant and have really filled quality bullpen roles. Um, and then it's just a yeah, it's just overall better pitching. I think I think that's the biggest thing you can uh, you can see with the Sox. It's not it hasn't been great, and they're still pretty far out of where they want to be. Uh, but the pitching has at least given the team a chance to win every day. It's interesting that you talk so much about the pitching because it's it's really the hitting that kind of gets the headline in terms of yep. the big name. It's, it's obviously Luis Robert. He's had this unbelievable breakout. What in your estimation has gone on with him? What's allowed him to be so effective? Oh, he was always this good. Um, I think that's what people, I think outside of the White Sox community, not everybody realizes that he he's always been this guy. I learned about his signing when I was in Costa Rica in 2017. And when I saw we signed him, I was like, this guy is amazing. And I was so excited. And it was, it, it made my day when I re- remember seeing the original news of the Sox signing him this massive deal coming out of Cuba. And he's always been this guy. It's just about tapping into that power and really getting him to a point where he's healthy and on the field and can get into everything he has. Cause he hasn't played a full season. I mean, right now he's played, I think 83 of our 86 games. I want to say, or maybe 84 at this point, um, if we played one more since, but he he's played almost every day. And that's really all it was with him. It was, it was a matter of getting him on the field, letting him get into that power role and really just seeing what you can do because you've got a guy, you know, you've always, you've seen glimpses of every aspect of his game, but now you've got a guy who's playing gold glove center field. He's hitting, he has the second, he's got 24 bombs right now. He's, you know, he's driving the ball. He's got doubles. He's got homers. He's just doing a little bit of everything. You know, his, his approach isn't great. And that's always been one of the bigger issues, but him being healthy and really being able to reach that power potential has negated a lot of the serious concern around his approach because everything else he does has been so good that the approach hasn't mattered as much. So I'm curious because you talk about his health being so significant. I remember when he first came up, like he was electric out there. I remember even like defensively all these unbelievable plays making, you know, Sportsnet Central stuff like it was unbelievable. So has he been able to remain electric while trying to preserve his health? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's a little, it, you see him being a little more cautious specifically in the base running aspect of the game. He's not stealing as much as he did early on. And he's definitely not necessarily using his speed a hundred percent, but he's still making those plays. I mean, you look on stuff that you're seeing, he's robbed a few homers this year. He's done some huge diving catches. I mean, he he's, he's still being himself and hitting home runs 450 feet. I mean, he, he's doing all those things in a more controlled and more, like manageable way i think where he knows we need him on the field it we don't need him stealing 30 40 bags because he has the speed to steal 40 bags if he wanted to i mean he has the ability to be doing what you know ronald acuna is doing right now with with speed with power but he's calming it back a little bit on the running front which is allowing him to remain amazing in the outfield and amazing at the plate and really let that power shine and then the other guy that I saw you wrote something about just recently, yeah. Jake Berger is having this great breakout as well. Can you talk about him a little bit? Yeah, Jake Berger is a guy. Um, I mean, he didn't even make the White Sox roster coming out of camp this year. Um, and he he played last year. He had some moments last year where fans really liked him. I mean, he's a fun guy. I think it's easy for fans to cheer for a guy with the name of Berger. Um, it just is a name that just flows. I know people call him the Burger Man in Chicago. And it's just a, he's a fun guy to watch. But, you know, he's really tapped into that power, too. He was a first-round pick. He dealt with two uh, torn Achilles back-to-back um, when he was coming up in the minor leagues, which really just was terrible to see from a guy who was, when he was drafted, the White Sox kind of saw he thought he might be, you know, the long-term third baseman potentially um, prior to when they had, you know, Moncada had become the thing in Chicago. And he was 
expected to be a big power hitter and he's always had that pop. And then this year, you know, mostly because of injuries, he was thrusted into a, a, a more some days role. He's slowed down a bit lately, um, but you know, he's been a serious bat for the white Sox. He's second in home runs by a healthy margin. And he just is a guy that's just come up clutch for the white Sox many times this year. And it's just a, he's just fun to watch. And he's, he's, he's a little inconsistent. He's a bit of a streaky hitter. You know, you're going to see him strike out a lot. He needs to, he's a young hitter. This is his first full season in the league. He's still, needs to kind of refine some things in his game, but he can, he can get into some balls and he hits the ball really hard when he gets into some. Obviously things, you know, haven't gone as expected in Chicago this year. And I mean, you know, Robert and Berger have been bright spots, but some of the guys who, you you know, you, you would have expected coming into the year to really carry the team, you know, Tim Anderson, Moncada, uh, even Ben Attendee maybe hasn't quite been as expected for those guys, I think maybe zooming in on Anderson specifically, kind of what's been the case with him this season in terms of not being the player that we all know him. Yeah, it, it's hard, man. I mean, I think it, it's really hard to look at Tim and, and say what's going on necessarily. I think you saw some things in his in his life last year and um, some elements of him just not looking fully comfortable uh, last year. And it's really just carried over to this year. He doesn't look very mentally in it, um, being perfectly honest. I mean, I think he's he's got some things he's working through. His, you know, a lot of his, in terms of the baseball side of things, a lot of his exit velos are down, his launch angle is down. He's really just, his swing is just resulting in a lot of ground balls right now. Um, he's just not getting the type of pop that we're used to seeing from him. I mean, he's a contact hitter, right? I mean, people know him for his batting average, and he's been a guy who's been, you know, one of the most solid, steady contact hitters in the last four seasons of the league. Um, but he also has always had some power, you know, when he's been healthy, he's been a 15 home run guy most of the seasons. So it's not, it's not like he's a pure contact guy. And this year we're seeing him hit nothing but ground balls and some rollover, some singles into the hole. And that's, that's about it. I mean, we're really not seeing him drive the ball. So it's hard to see. Uh, it's, I wish, I wish the best for Tim. I mean, I know, I think the white Sox, he, he's been our guy for a while, but I, I'm not sure where to go with him on this roster. Yeah, it's interesting to see him having such a tough year. You know, at the World Baseball Classic, they said he was a linchpin of Team USA. And then to kind of come in and, you know, have these struggles, I think we'll get into it a little bit later. But is he a guy that you think could could end up being on the way out? I, I almost expect it at this point, to be honest. Um, I think you can tell he's just not fully there with the White Sox right now. And I think part of that could be with the team just really struggling. And part of it could just be his role and the fact that he hasn't gotten an extension. And there, there's so many factors to it. Um, but I think I think he's a guy that I, I almost expect him to be getting traded, either whether it's the deadline or the offseason, because he has one more year of his contract next year. Um, I don't see him being on the White Sox past the end of the season. Yeah, it's it's too bad the way things have played out because he's you know he's a really fun player yeah, when he's course. at his best and you know it's yeah. it's it's unfortunate the way that it's kind of broke for Chicago this year. Um, with that said, in in the AL Central, you know, not the best division. I think a lot of Blue Jays fans are upset at you know the way things yeah. have kind of unfolded this year. You know, we we've kind of had the debate on this podcast as to you know who we think is going to win the AL Central if that team would be a threat in the playoffs. I know I've said a ton, you know, I don't want to face the Twins in a playoff series in Minnesota because they have Joe Ryan, Sonny Gray, Pablo Lopez to throw at you in a three-game series. But for you, kind of looking at the state of the division, do you think it is going to be the Twins that are kind of going to to hold on the rest of the way and take it? 
You know, I would have said that um, about a month ago, I think. I think I talked to this with uh, with Ryan Finkelstein of Just Baseball on his podcast. Me and him talked about, you know, what is going on with the AL Central, who is, like, actually somewhat good, and most teams in the AL, I mean, the whole division really isn't good. Um, but we were talking about, you know, who can you really see winning? And as much as I agree with you that Minnesota might be the scariest in a playoff series just purely because of that top three in the rotation – I don't really trust them to hold on. I mean, they, their lineup's really inconsistent. They're an injury prone team. And I kind of, I just, I never count out Cleveland. They're, they're just, they've been that team my whole life as a White Sox fan that you really just don't count out. And you can't, you can't look at Cleveland and say like, they're out of it. So I almost see Cleveland pulling away. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody pulls away actually. I mean, in all honesty, like I think it's going to be kind of a gross slugfest of uh, just figuring out who around 500 bouncing around back and forth. Um, but if I had to go right now, I think I'd lean Cleveland a little bit over Minnesota just because they have a lot of pitching depth. Um, and you know, it's, it's the twins top of the rotation and just generally the top end of their roster. When you look at a bucks and a Correa and then those three pitchers you mentioned, I mean, that looks great. Right. But Cleveland is that team that just keeps fighting. They nag you. They, even the lineup that has been bad this year has been better lately. They're seeing some guys start to get back on track and they also just have a lot of young pitching. I mean, you look at, they just, they already had a strong rotation and they brought up Gavin Williams, who is one of baseball's top pitching prospects and he looks great. So you're, you're, they just continue to add pitchers to their rotation and to their bullpen and whatever it is. Like I, I like Cleveland's depth and I think that they have the ability to outlast what is a brutal battle for the top of this division. So you've just given Cleveland lots of flowers, but I mean, Chicago's only what five, five and a half. They're not that far yeah, out. Right so, now. so I mean, is it a foregone conclusion that Chicago will be kind of selling? Is 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 this the kind of yeah. road? It's not a foregone conclusion. I think it's really interesting to see because the White Sox are in a spot where you know, you know, this team has the ability to be good and to be a playoff team. We've seen, I mean, two years ago in 2021, this team was one of the best teams in baseball all season with essentially most of the same roster pieces. I mean, it's not like a ton of things have changed. The biggest difference is no Carlos Rodon, who was a great pitcher for the Sox two years ago. And, you know, sure, that's a difference. Um, but the rosters, the core of the roster is the same roster. It's just this team has not been able to put it together. And it's from an injury standpoint, from an underperformance standpoint, from a coaching, I mean, from managerial, front office decisions. There's so many different layers to it with the White Sox where they just haven't made it work. And that's not to say they can't make it work. There is a real world where the White Sox get hot in July and they go on a run and they, you know, stay in this race. They add a piece or two and they win the division. Can I see that? Yes. Do I want to see that? Not really. Um, and I know that sounds so pessimistic from a fan of a team that, you know, I, I covered the White Sox for a year now and I, I want, I have watched them my entire life and I want them to succeed, but the White Sox are in a position right now where at best case, they're winning a bad division, finishing around 500 probably. I mean, the winner of the AL Central is not going to have more than 85 wins max, maybe. And that might be being that might be generous, honestly, given the, the state of the division right now. So you're winning a bad division, maybe. You're going into the playoffs, probably losing to the wildcard team. I mean, if you look at the wildcard teams right now, every single team in the wildcard race, as the Jays are one of them, every team in the wildcard race is better than every team in the AL Central. I mean, seriously, if you look at the West and the East, I mean, there's four teams in both the AL East and the AL West that are legitimately better than every team in the Central. So you're winning. The best case scenario is you're winning a division. You're losing likely in the first round, maybe in the second round, maybe. Um, I don't, I mean, I know when it gets to the playoffs, anything can happen, sure but I don't think the White Sox stack up against most of these teams in the West or the East. 
And I would rather us go the direction of resetting. It's not a rebuild. It's, I think people get the idea of a retool and a rebuild miss like a little bit, you know, confused sometimes because I think the White Sox have pieces. They don't not have pieces. This is not a team where you're tearing down everything top down. I'm not trading Luis Robert. I, I don't care what I see on Twitter. I, I'm not trading him right now. You're, I mean, what are you doing? It's a 25 year old often like out center fielder who's just now finding his groove at he's 25. It's not like he's 29 and he's, you know, approaching the end of the end of his peak. Like he hasn't even hit his peak yet. He still has room to grow. Same with Dylan Cease. I mean, I, I yeah, you entertain it. You're open to it maybe because of how thin the pitching market is right now, but he's just recently 27. He's got, I mean, he's got more multiple years of club control after this year. I think you're, you're getting rid of your, in my opinion, the most logical decision is getting rid of the guys who are expiring this year, next year, more of the veteran pieces. You know, we talked about a, a Tim Anderson. We're going to get into a Giolito, you know, th those types of guys where they're good players. You can get somewhat of a return for them, but you're not tearing down the young quality players on the team from, and, and I think you could really set yourself up to take over this division in two years if things go well, but I don't see a reason why you're pushing it in for this year just to win a division that's really bad. So in, in, in your eyes is, is if this is a time to sell who in your eyes is the guy to move? Cause there's a couple of guys, obviously you think of, yeah. but I mean, you know, Giolito is he a guy that maybe you look at holding on to in terms of maybe you look to extend him. He's had a nice bounce back or, yeah. or can you get anything for Lance Lynn? Like who are the guys that you think got to go? Right. I mean, I think, as we said earlier, I think Tim Anderson's the first one. Um, honestly, I do. I just, I, and I, I sad to say because White Sox fans loved him and we have loved him for so long. He's been a huge part of this, this rebuild and, you know, getting back to relevancy in the last few years. And, and he is, he could get back to being a great player. I, I honestly expect him to get, if you were to get traded to start doing great somewhere else. Um, and that's good. And I'd, I'd be perfectly happy for him, but I think his time in Chicago is just kind of over right now. Uh, the energy's not there. I don't really see it working. And with another year of control, I think there's a good amount of teams that would take a chance on him bouncing back. I mean, I know the price is going to be, we're going to get less for him than we would have gotten, you know, this past off season, just based on how he's played this year. Um, but I think there's plenty of teams that would say, you know, we'll take a year and a half of Tim Anderson for, you know, and see what we can get out of him. He's been a great player for three of the last four seasons. Um, so I think that's the most likely, like you said, Giolito is an interesting case. I think, there's something to be said for considering extending him. He's not even, he's just still in his twenties in his late twenties. I mean, he's having, again, last year was terrible, but he's had three of his last four seasons have been, you know, good two to three starter level seasons. Um, I mean, I think he's a guy you could consider extending, but I also think, I mean, purely as a rental, I know it's only a few month rental, but if you're not going to extend him, you have to trade him. There's no reason to lose him for nothing when you're have the ability with the, the pitching market is so thin right now. And so many good contenders need pitching right now. So, you know, three months of Giolito, could net the White Sox a pretty quality prospect, which, you know, it seems crazy considering his season last year, but like, and, and that he's a rental, right? But I think you can get something for him. I don't think you're getting much for Lance Lynn right now. I mean, I know he had a great, amazing historic start a few few weeks ago, uh, but other than that, he really just hasn't been very good. I think you can get, somebody will take a flyer on him, right? I mean, worst case, he's a, he's a five-starter long reliever option for the playoffs. I mean, that's not a terrible situation to be in. He's a veteran. He's been there. He's been in the world series. Um, so I think that's a guy you, you try to trade for something. Um, he's, he's got a team option at the end of the year. The Sox are not picking up an $18 million option on him most likely. So I think he's a, uh, he's a guy you move for something. Um, and then from there, it's just, it's bullpen pieces. It's a few other veterans. Um, I think the Sox have four or five guys in the pen that you can get a prospect for at the deadline. Um, I think teams are always 
always looking to add affordable bullpen pitchers. I mean, that's just how the deadline goes. There's always every, every team in the bottom 10 teams of the league is going to move some bullpen pitchers um, to, to contenders. So that's just natural. And I think, I mean, that's, again, that's not a, it's not a fire sale, right? It's not the idea that the white Sox are just going to blow it up. It's just, it's not likely. I don't see it happening. Um, so I think you just, you look into your starting pitchers, your, your Giolito, your Lancelin, Clevenger, if he gets back healthy, I think somebody would take a chance on a Clevenger for the rest of the season. Um, you know, bullpen guys, Tim Anderson, you float the idea of an Eloy Jimenez. Um, I think I, I kind of don't mind the idea of trading him purely from the standpoint of he can't stay healthy. You can't really play him in the field. He's pretty much a DH at this point. Um, I mean, the Sox have played him in right field and he's been okay this year, but he's just has not been reliable for the White Sox and the potential of his bat could get some teams interested um, and could, you know, have some people pony up some prospects for him. So I think you consider that idea. Um, and beyond that, I think, about it maybe Grandal. I don't know who wants Grandal, um, but I think Grandal's been a, a league average catcher this year. If somebody really, if a contender really needs a catcher, um, they can plug and play for the rest of the season until he's a free agent. Sure, um, but I, I mean, it's really just it, the the biggest things are, are Tim Anderson and Giolito and trying to see what you can really float out there and get for them, um, and then just focusing on some of the core guys that we have right now and continuing to build through our prospects and the system and whatever other trades you can make and signings you can make. Yeah. I uh, I can't believe you're you mentioned even uh, Eloy in that conversation because yeah. I remember when he came up it's in a similar capacity almost to uh, to yeah. Robert just the just the kind of how electric he was. Um, I got to ask you this very quickly because Zach and 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 myself and Jake got into the good debate a couple of weeks ago about Lance Lynn and and his uh, <laughs> and yeah. his possibility for the Jays as a as a starter option. Uh, like the underlyings are okay. He's he's not great he's not who he once was uh, can you very quickly give us the lowdown on why this guy is so washed <laughs> I, I mean i think we're just in a new era of baseball to some degree and a new and he just hasn't quite adapted all the way um i mean he's a he's an older guy he throws four variations of a fastball and that's pretty much what he works with the that start where he had 16 strikeouts a few weeks ago was in large part because he really worked in his curveball more than he has at all this year um and i think with him it's just guys are just catching up to him. His fastball just continues to decrease in velo. It's not moving quite the same way it did. I mean, he used to have this cutter, this cutter sinker combo that was just, it was sharp. It was mid nineties earlier in his career. I mean, right now he's, he's low nineties. Um, I mean, and his good days, right. I mean, he has sometimes where he's throwing his cutter, you know, 88 to 90 on certain days. And it's just, it's slow. It's not quite as moving as much as it used to be. And it's really just, I mean, I think people have mentioned that he he's a little bigger than he used to be. Um, I think that, definitely is a factor to some degree, but I also just think he's, he's kind of just a product of his times. I mean, I think he, he's had an amazing career. I mean, all, all the ads off to Lance Lynn, he's been in the league for a long time and he's done a lot of great things with many different teams at this point. Um, and he's had some ups and downs in his career, but he's been consistently solid. And I just think it's, he's a mostly fastball pitcher who doesn't throw his fastball as hard or with as much movement as he used to. So that just, they catches up to you. And I think guys can see, you know, year after year with the Lance Lynn, you're, you're getting mostly the same stuff from him. And now it's going to be a little slower and not quite as good. Um, and I just think that's just caught up to him this year and he still gets the strikeouts, um, which is impressive, honestly, 116 strikeouts right now at this point in the season for a guy of his age and with his ERA is pretty crazy. Um, and he's still going to rack those up and it's, he's still, again, as a five starter, I don't hate it. I think, I think he's experienced. I think if you're trying to make a playoff push, his energy and his experience can't hurt really. Um, but I also don't know if, you know, he's not somebody I would necessarily want to be, you know, relying on uh, come a playoff series to be starting a game for you right now. I think for the Blue Jays, I mean, in, in the conversation we're having, I think Giolito is obviously the more valuable pickup and 
you know, it's it's interesting to to think about potential packages kind of, you know, they seem like almost a natural fit, the Blue Jays and the White Sox in terms of trade yeah. partners. But, you know, the Blue Jays just don't have the, the farm depth. You know, you're not going to be giving up Ricky Tiedemann. You're not going to be giving up Aurelvis Martinez at this point. And I don't know if you can get Giolito without including either of those guys. So it might be kind of a case where Lance Lynn is yeah. the best that you can do with what you got. I, I think you can, honestly. Um, I mean, I, I think as much as the market is thin and Giolito is, you know, a guy who has been good this year, I think you have to consider that he's a three-month rental. He doesn't have a contract. He was bad last year. He was really bad last year for most of the season. So I think the Blue Jays have a chance. I mean, I think, you know, I think maybe you're not, you're not looking at, I'm trying to think of some of the other prospects in the Blue Jays that could work. I mean, maybe like, a, I mean, maybe you consider like an Addison Barger uh, with something else. I think that could be a realistic deal that could get it done. I don't know if you're willing to give that up for Giolito. Uh, I'm curious your take on it, but I mean, I think that type of bat for the White Sox, like just a bat that is somewhat close to the big leagues and has, you know, high impact potential is somebody that the White Sox, that that's the type of thing the White Sox will be looking for. Um, I mean, it's, it's a tricky line but i think i think it could make sense and i think there's a few other teams um that also make sense for giolito but i think i think the jays could be one and you know do you think i'll ask you guys this do you think there's a way you trade for him and then extend him i think that they have so much invested right now in their rotation so i mean you know if if you look at probably what they're they're planning for next year you, you you know still still got gossman still got bassett right Kikuchi's still here. Barrios just got extended. And then you you have Manoa as well. And Tiedemann, who, you know, I think they were hoping is was would be banging down the door about right, right. now, but obviously kind of has the the injury troubles. So I think if they are adding a pitcher this this year, it, it will kind of be for a rental that they don't plan on on bringing in long term. Yeah, yeah just that on, makes sense. Yeah, just on your point on Barger too, I think. I think they really like him and he's probably yeah. a guy that they wouldn't really want to move, especially with Chapman being a free agent at the end of the year. Barger just kind of is the natural fit to fill in there, even though he hasn't been very good this year, but he's also been hurt. So, I mean, just kind of thinking like, I mean, if you're mentioning kind of like close to the majors bats, you know, like they have Otto Lopez and like, yeah. if you like old, older prospects, like Nathan Lucas has been with the team this year. I, you know, it's it, it's it's going to be a problem for the Jays in specific, uh, in particular, with not necessarily having those pieces. But I, I mean, I mean, Otto Lopez I, is is a guy who is young and is there. I'm not sure if he's good enough to be actually landing you somebody like Lucas Giolito, yeah. though. I think I mean I think that can be a fit for a you know a landslide type deal. Um, yeah. As much as that's not maybe quite as ideal, I think that could. I think Socks, if you, if you said well take you know we'll take Lance off your hands for Otto Lopez I think the Sox would be pretty inclined to do that and I think that that kind of works you know a mid-level a mid a mid-range of your top prospects kind of and you know just straight up for a landslide I think would work um I mean maybe uh I, I never know how to say his name maybe a Yasver Zaluda um maybe I think that's a little bit of a high price for Giolito honestly I know a lot of people that are pretty high on him um I think the White Sox aren't necessarily tied to just hitting prospects um it could go either way I know they just I mean in my opinion it's really just about getting talent and getting talent that is you know 
somewhat more progressed talent. I think the White Sox developmental system has just not done an excellent job with some of our top players that we acquired a long time ago. So I think with this kind of retool that I that I envision happening soon, I think you're looking for guys who, you know, have reached the double A level by now, um, at least, you know, a little bit more experience could be ready to help out in the next year or two. So I think I think there's some fits there. I know the Jays system isn't loaded, but I think that could honestly work for a deal with the White Sox, given that the White Sox aren't probably I mean, they might, but I don't think the White Sox are going to move, you know, a Dylan Cease or somebody of that nature. So I think if you're if you're looking at the Sox, there are a lot of guys who are, you know, middle level acquisitions. They're not you're not getting a superstar. I mean, Tim, I guess Tim Anderson could be considered a superstar, would have been considered a superstar a year or two ago. But I think you're uh, you're getting some more middle level guys. So it could work in your favor, honestly, to be a team that could offer some of those medium prospects as opposed to these some of these teams that are looking to go get a big name. Um, it could work out. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I can't believe how different the, the, I guess call it perception of Giolito is internally, externally. Yeah. I mean, to me, a guy like Barger doesn't feel like it would be enough to get a guy like a mm-hmm. Giolito, but it obviously is his perception or his his value, whatever, has dipped from maybe where it once was. I mean, obviously he's a Cy yeah. Young guy once upon a time, right? But he's at this point, he's not that, right? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think from White Sox fans' perspective, Giolito is a good pitcher and he's been solid this year. I just don't know if anybody. I think after last year and just generally watching him pitch, and the people in the White Sox community that watch him pitch a lot, I just don't know if anybody believes he's really ever going to be a consistently great pitcher again. I just think the league kind of figured him out last year, and I think he's a guy who relies a lot on just really pinpointing his pitches. He doesn't have, I mean, he's got that great changeup, but his fastball just has a tendency to just be way too hittable at times. And it's just, it's, he makes you nervous. I, I don't know how to, I mean, that's just purely an eye test thing for me, but it's from a White Sox fan perspective, he he makes you nervous when he's on the mound and he does get the job done a lot of the time and he's a solid pitcher, but I just don't know if White Sox, if the White Sox, like even the organization itself, I don't think they view him as, you know, a consistent top of the rotation guy that he maybe was perceived as a few years ago uh, around the league. So I think it, it, and I I don't, they don't plan to extend him and they've kind of made it clear that they haven't really engaged in any extension talks right now. So when you look at a guy who's, who's, you kind of just expect to be gone in three months, it's like, you got to get what you can get from my perspective. And it's just, I don't, think he's viewed like he used to be um and i think you've just seen him kind of his stuff has just ticked down a little bit and even this year when he's looked better he just he hasn't been quite what he was in 2019 and when he was really looking like he could be you know the ace of the white Sox long term um and i think i think uh yeah maybe maybe i'm undervaluing him a bit i could be just because of my my bias of feeling nervous when i watch him pitch um but i also think you know i think i think there's there's something to be said for i don't think he's gonna go for quite as much as you know some people might think he might. Yeah, it's kind of funny. You know, you mentioned being nervous while he pitches. He would fit in perfectly in the Blue Jays rotation. Yeah, right. Yeah, just, exactly. <laughs> um, I just want to get real quick, you know, thinking, you know, when you're thinking about a trade, you know, you think about maybe some other pieces you can get. I would love Joe Kelly in Toronto. What what kind yeah. of bull, what kind of bullpen arms, you know, do you think might actually be on the way out? 
Yeah, I mean, I think Kelly and uh, Kendall Graveman are the two that are the most, you know, like they're they're veterans. They're a little bit expensive. They don't really fit the White Sox timelines. They've both shown things. I mean, Kelly, Kelly's an inconsistent pitcher. Um, he drives me, speaking of guys who make me nervous, Kelly drives me crazy more than anybody in our bullpen. Um, every time Kelly comes into the game from the bullpen, I'm like, oh, here we go. We're either getting a dominant three strikeouts or we're getting the lead blown. Um, so it's it's a little, he, he makes you a little nervous, but the stuff is amazing. I mean, that's always been Joe Kelly, right? He has a 99 mile an hour sinker that just is gross um mixes it with his knuckle curve i mean he's he's got stuff he's got great bullpen back end type stuff um you know he is a, you're gonna get a little inconsistency with him but he's an ad that you know any team contending you you put him in the right spots right and he'll and he'll be a guy for you in the bullpen i mean i think he's he's not a guy you necessarily want being your your bullpen ace or even your second best bullpen arm um at this point in his career just based on where he's at but i don't think he would need to be that for you guys i'm not Super, I haven't been, I mean, obviously Romano, um, beyond that, I know you've had a few other guys that have been steady this year, um, but I think he would make sense. I think Graveman makes a lot of sense. Graveman's got another year of his contract next year, so that's a little bit more of a financial burden uh, to take on, you know, $8 million next year as well. Um, but he is, Graveman's been great for the Sox. You know, he's had to be kind of the sort of closer, sort of, you know, bullpen ace role without Hendricks most of the season. Um, so he, he's been great too. I think both those guys could definitely get thrown into a package with a Giolito or a Lance Lynn um, and make that work for you guys. And then, you know, if you want to go the more affordable option and just get a guy who is just kind of, you know, catch a hot guy on the season who probably isn't anything long-term, but, you know, has been good this year and could finish out a strong season. You'd look at a Kenyon Middleton who's been great. Um, he's been, he, he was a free agent signing. He's been around the league for a while, but the White Sox have kind of found something in him this year and he's been really solid for the Sox. So I think that's a guy you could look to add for essentially nothing, maybe one small little throw in prospect. Um, but that's, I think, I think a deal where you're, if you're, if you're looking at a Lance Lynn or a Giolito, um, I think you definitely want to add one of those three bullpen arms into that deal for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they have, you know, here in Toronto, like, I mean, you've got Romano and Swanson and Pearson right. have kind of been the, the three main guys. And then behind that, I mean, you know, we always joke about the circle of trust and there's, I think we're at like four relievers that are there right now or five yeah. with Trevor Richards, but he's kind of been a starter. So let's, uh, let's move on to the actual series, I guess, this week. Looks like yeah. we're going to be Giolito against Bassett, Lance Lynn against Barrios. And then, as you mentioned, a bullpen day for the White Sox against Yusei Kikuchi. Yeah. Um, we, we like to go through every week here and kind of make our picks for, you know, try and predict what's going to happen. Um, if, if you're kind of looking at the series, what are, what are your expectations when the three games are all, all settled? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the Blue Jays take at least two, um, based on this lineup. I mean, you're avoiding C's Kopech just went on the IL, So it would have been Kopech likely, um, third game, but he just went on the IL with shoulder inflammation. I think the White Sox are trying to preserve him, uh, cause he hasn't really had a full season under his belt. So you're getting a really nice setup here with the pitchers you're facing. I know Bassett, Bassett's been a little bit, uh, up and down. Am I right there? He, um, yeah, he's, he's been bad recently. Yeah. That's what I've, I've noticed that. So I think he hasn't been great and Giolito has been good. So I, I could kind of see the White Sox dealing a game one. Um, I think Giolito has been good enough, but then you also look at Giolito. I looked at this before we got on here Giolito against the blue Jays. Um, his career has been horrendous. Uh, he has, he has a five, nine, one ERA against the blue Jays over his six career games against them. Uh, I just, I just know he's never been all that great against Toronto. Uh, I think your guys lineup just plays well against him. It's kind of the type of lineup that works for him. Um, so I think it's interesting to see, but I, I, I could see a world where the blue Jays get all three, but realistically, I think I would, I would, I would call a white Sox 
stealing one in game one um, and then losing the next two. I don't think, I mean, Barrios, I, I've been kind of impressed with Barrios the last few times I've watched him pitch. I know he isn't quite what you traded for um, a little while back, but he still looks a lot better than last year, uh, to say the least. So he at least is a usable pitcher. He's been solid and I, I don't really trust Lynn against your lineup also. Um, and then the bullpen day with the White Sox is really a toss up. You can get anything on any given day. You might get a good day. I know I feel like the Sox will hit Kikuchi pretty well. That's a game where I'd be taking the over if I'm a betting man. Um, but uh, that is a, I, I, I think I'll go the Sox take one in game one and then you guys, you guys pull it out in two and three. The uh, the game two matchup is the one that's got me salivating, especially the way you've just described Lance yeah. Lynn as uh, no longer throwing hard. Jace, don't hit Velo. So if he's not throwing super yeah. hard, he's a guy that uh, I'm really kind of liking the uh, I'm really kind of liking that matchup. Uh, do the do the White Sox hit lefties well? So there's this whole thing with the White Sox where they they got this label of, you know, the White Sox mash lefties and they got that in, you know, in 2021, especially in our good season, but that's not really the case anymore. Um, I mean, don't throw anything to Luis Robert because he will take it deep from a lefty every single time. I almost would bet on him taking Kikuchi deep. Um, but I think other than that, it's, it's not great. I mean, it's, it's about the same with both sides of the lineup. I really, when you're facing the White Sox lineup right now, the way they're hitting lately, it's just, there's really nobody to be scared of aside from Robert. I mean, burgers slowed down a lot last month. Um, so it's really just, especially with Kikuchi's type of pitching, um, you know, it's, it's really just avoid Robert and then deal with the rest of the lineup. Um, I think that's, I think you're going to start in the second half of the season, seeing a lot of teams pitch around him, honestly, considering just how unbelievable he's been in June. I mean, he had, he had a just crazy month of June. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just, I mean, he's just tearing everything he's seeing. He's just getting destroyed. So I, I think you're probably just going to be avoiding him as much as you can. And otherwise should be fine. Um, I think that that third game should just be, pretty offensive in general but it's not like the Sox are crushing lefties yeah for sure yeah. but i'm i'm think i think you've got uh i think you've got the right idea with your crystal ball going i'm i'm thinking <laughs> jays maybe 2-1 but that that kikuchi start we'll see you know tbd if the white yeah. Sox do indeed mash him yeah, yeah. jays coming off a, a sweep at the hands of the red Sox, so <laughs> you you never know but you know they seem to figure it out uh, against non-ALS teams yeah, the White Sox were about three pitches away from getting swept by the Oakland days, if that makes you feel better. Um, so I think it's we barely pulled out game three in that series. So um, you know, it's it's not it hasn't been pretty for us. So I, I think I think the Jays take the series. I mean, I see a world where it's a sweep. I again I as I've said, I, I I'm almost hoping the White Sox start to falter even further right now, um, just because I, I want them to kind of retool and push into that. I think it's you never want to root for your team to lose, and especially because I'm gonna get to watch. Lanceline against Barrios um, in person, at least. But I, uh, you know, I I would like to see them win a game. But I, I do I do think the Jays pull the series out. I think that is probably the way that I would lean as well. Um, yeah. You know, you you never know though. It's it's baseball. You got to play the right. games. Exactly. Well, Elijah, we appreciate you giving us so much of your time today. Really totally. uh, great to have you on. This was awesome. Um, enjoy the games this week, and uh, yeah. thanks again. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Appreciate it. All right, we are back. That was our conversation with Elijah Evans, writer at Just Baseball, Future Socks, and Socks Machine. You can follow him on Twitter at ElijahEv8. Really great conversation. I think it's going to be an interesting series. I mean, the White Sox have been playing better despite, you know, he talked about the series against the A's recently they have been better since we saw them in Toronto 
Yeah, like again, you mentioned it off the top there about them being over 500 since April. This isn't the same White Sox team that had the sky falling, but it's still based on our chat. Sounds like they're a team ready to sell at least retool. Yeah, it's uh the NL Central or the AL Central. It's yeah, you know, I don't know how much more needs to be said. <laughs> Yeah, with, I will say, you know, that the Jays do maybe catch a little bit of a break, not seeing Dylan Cease this week, but you still do. We're still getting Giolito and Lynn, so no cakewalks there, especially, you know, obviously we talked about Lynn and his, what was it, 17 strikeout start that he had recently. So, you know, maybe he's working through some stuff. We've had a lot of Lance Lynn talk the last couple of weeks here. Yeah, yeah, he's going through a bit of a, a bit of a we're we're going through a bit of a Lance Lynn renaissance here apparently. Only us though. Only us. <laughs> not even not even Lance Lynn is going through a Lance Lynn renaissance. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about the Red Sox series. Uh the seven and O Red Sox against the Blue Jays this year, but it's so weird just how, you know, last year you look at it, the Red Sox and Blue Jays had nearly an identical record if you took away their games against each other. And this year it's been basically a total reversal of how that looks. But obviously the Red Sox are now just two games back of the Blue Jays. What what do you take away from that series? I mean, obviously the Blue Jays didn't play well. There was, I think, a lot of bad play from each facet of the team yeah like in in each game there was kind of something that went wrong you know game one the hitting does not show up they get thoroughly dominated Uh, game two it's those details that early in the season you know we heard so much about how the jays were going to be a team that did all the little things right and that you know right at the end of the game it's the little detail that makes the biggest difference in terms of a lack of communication between Bo and Louis Rivera. And then in game three, the complete and utter meltdown by the bullpen, particularly Jordan Romano. It's, it's just varying different aspects that continue to plague a team that should by all accounts be better than this. Yeah, I think for me, looking at the series, like James Paxton might be my number one pitching target for the Blue Jays if the Red Sox do decide to sell. I mean, you can't even say that because they're two games back of the Jays now, but he looked he looked so good. He was throwing hard. He was, you know, the, the curveball was on. He was just kind of dominating the Jays hitters. And I, w- I was a little surprised how long they left him out there. Like he went well over 100 pitches, but how he would be like a perfect fit, a lefty who, you know, doesn't have to be an ace, but he certainly has pitched really well this season. And, you know, the the question marks that I would have there are obviously kind of the health concerns with him already having a couple scares this year, but you know, these big maple bring them home adjacent. Yeah. It's well, it's not like they're, they're in need of this, you know, durable guy or anything for, whoever they do end up picking up to to augment their rotation. Paxton, as you mentioned, the injuries are obviously a concern, 
But to me, they're so secondary based on what you're going to ultimately need him for. Even if you used him in a really conservative sense and, and even just kept him to, you know, five innings per outing just to protect him for a potential I mean, he wouldn't start in the playoffs. He'd be coming out of the bullpen. But even if you were just kind of trying to protect him a little bit, uh, he'd be a guy. But I, I just don't see the Red Sox at this point making him available. Plus, also, I want to say there's been a couple of instances where the Jays have had opportunities to go out and get him. And Paxton has been the one that has kind of objected or things have ultimately not, not broken down that way. I mean, he was drafted by the Blue Jays at one time. And decided not to sign with them, if I recall correctly. And then another instance, I want to say that in free agency a couple of years back, they pursued him really heavily. And I think he might have chosen the Yankees over the Blue Jays, I want to say. And again, both of those, I'm not 100% certain. But I do believe that the Jays have circled around him multiple times. Yeah, he was drafted by the Blue Jays in 2009 in the, in the first round and then ended up going back to school and then coming back and was drafted by the Mariners the next year. One thing I'm, I'm curious about is, you know, obviously he's Canadian, right? But do you think that, like, I mean, he just doesn't want to be the Canadian playing in Canada? I mean, that's really the only possible explanation because for most guys, you figure that it's kind of like, oh, I'm playing for Canada's team, but could be a case of he's a guy from out West and maybe he grew up a Mariners fan that's what I was gonna say he probably I mean the Jays were were not the national team in the same way they are now even you know in the early 2000s I mean while the Expos were still around Toronto definitely was not the the same global team or excuse me the same national team that they are nowadays nowadays I mean there's all the you know invasions in Seattle and there's all the invasions in Minnesota he very possibly just grew up watching the late nineties Jays and just did not care for a team that basically was Roger Clemens and Carlos Delgado and not a whole lot else. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be interesting to talk to him about that and just kind of see if that's something, you know, he, he really wanted to do. I know it's, it's interesting too. Like, I mean, obviously they didn't push him back to put pitch on Canada day, even though, you know, like there was some people that thought maybe that would be to to kind of give him that experience. I, I I don't know if that would be like something that he could be like, hey, can I pitch Canada today? Or if it's just, you know, him being for well, the know, team. I think I think actually what it was, is I, I think I read somewhere that his wife was due. So I don't even think he was right, in right, Toronto yes. for Canada Day, which is pretty funny, actually. Yes. Anyways, I, I mean... We'll see kind of what happens with the Red Sox. They'll be a team to watch the rest of the way. And if they do, because he he is a, a pending UFA. So why not? Why? I think it's he'd compelling. be a really good it's compelling. fit. It's you compelling. know, as much as we just talked about kind of the White Sox, I think Paxson would be be really good. Let's talk about the Bichette-Louis Rivera thing. Because it's, you know, I think it's it's a topic worth discussing as in uh, just such a poor communication moment. And we've seen it so much with, I don't want to say this coaching staff in general, but it seems like, you know, there is kind of a communication 
or a poor third base coaching issue that this team does have. The the third base coaching thing, I think, is is a persistent theme. Louis Rivera has been with this team for a long time, and he, I mean, part of it is just you only notice your third base coach when things go wrong, but Louis Rivera has always been a loose cannon, it feels like. And I mean, I'm sure a lot of teams feel that way about their third base coach, but it doesn't make it any less true that he he loves that windmill. But I mean, even during this, even in even in this instance, the the lack of a of a it's you know two outs in the ninth. You need to be decisive out there, and he's kind of this passive stop sign, but it's a very late stop sign, and you know it's the 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 go sign with Bichette is is it's not even this big wave. It's kind of like a, a smaller thing. So you, you've got to be definitive. The other thing though, that I thought was really interesting was the post-game comments by Bichette. And he did not sound a obviously enthused and B didn't sound like he was taking a lot of accountability, which was a bit concerning to me. And I don't want to sound like some kind of old boomer, you know, he's got to be, he's got to be the team player. But I also think that you can't just blindly be looking at your third base coach and being like, he's telling me to go. It's over, especially because he hesitated. Yeah. I mean, did did the hesitation come from Rivera changing his sign midway through or, you know, it, it was funny to me, like you talk about Bichette's comments, but I think Schneider's comments were kind of crazy as well, where he's like, you know, I don't really think there's any blame to place. Well, yeah, there is. Like, let's let's be honest here. Like, I think if Bo had actually stopped as soon as he got the stop sign, he probably would have been able to make it back to third safely. But also, like, the late stop sign, it's... I I would personally, I think, you know, there there's blame to go on both of them, in my opinion, on both Bo and Louis Rivera. But for me, I'm kind of leaning Rivera as to, like, you you can't have like a, a half hand up as your stop sign like as a third base coach you know you know we you talk about he loves the windmill right like kind of you got to be able to be big and be in your player's face about what you want them to do like just putting up your hand and being like oh no too late stop <laughs> like you got to be like stop like yeah nobody can see what i'm doing right now but like get both hands up get big get in their face and be like, you're, you're going back to third. I, yeah. Uh... And even, and even like a, a part of it too, again, you can't read too much because we don't, you know, see these players, but like Bo's personality, like he feels like someone that would blow through a stop sign in terms of like, he's a confident cocky guy, you know, he, he plays the game in, in a very kind of, I mean, call it exciting, call it whatever, but he, the way he, he likes to play, he plays big, you know, and he he trusts his skill set. So, you know, if he goes through this stop sign and it's like a big stop sign, you know, that's that's even that's I feel like more excusable because it's you know there's no hesitation. But for for Bo to kind of slow up and kind of be like, am I going? Am I not going? Am I going? Am I not going? Doesn't work. Yeah. One thing. Okay. I have like this weird thing. I mean, it it doesn't make sense to me why baseball fans love when players blow through stop signs. i i just it doesn't compute with me as to like this guy is blowing through his coach telling him not to go because the coach thinks he's going to get thrown out like and baseball fans love it because they're like oh he's aggressive he's blowing through that stop sign but it's it's a dumb thing to do like 
I, I don't oh, understand yeah. the 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 love for when that happens. It's because everyone loves a Maverick, dude. Have you seen Top Gun? Man, everyone loves that. It's it's like it's everyone. It's it's your own little momentary glimpse of of the lone soldier going at it, you know. But obviously, in this instance, maybe maybe uh maybe handing off the baton there might have uh might have made things a little bit better. <laughs> I don't I don't know. It's just uh it 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 frustrates me when it when it happens and I don't know. It, it usually actually works out most of the time. Funnily enough because you know usually guys who are blowing through stop signs are are quick and you know are able to put a little bit of pressure on that throw. But in this scenario it was like the ball's hit straight at Vertugo who has a good arm and he just made like a really easy throw and Bo was out by, by a lot. So, yeah. And, and even like Bo has like respectable speed, but he's not a burner out there. So yeah. to me, the, the mismatch, especially cause it was Verdugo, you know, it was kind of, it was a little bit written in the stars, how that one was going to go. Speaking of Verdugo, uh, another clutch home run for him to secure the series sweep after the bullpen implosion i guess we can call it you know romano gives up the the ninth inning home run and swanson coughs up the lead before that i uh i don't necessarily understand how romano has been so bad in non-save situations this year i wish i had the stat in front of me but uh i saw a tweet last night you know of the few of the 600 or so tweets you're allowed to see nowadays uh (laughs) Sorry, podcast uh, over, rate limit exceeded. Yeah, exactly, for real. Um, he's got an ERA of somewhere in the twos, somewhere in the low to mid twos in save situations. This guy has nails, and he's got an ERA, I think it was over four in non-save situations. And a couple of years back, I remember Ken Giles had a similar thing going on, but I, I just I don't understand it, and a lot of it, I'm sure, is just just dumb variants. Um, that's that's the life of a life of a reliever, and I mean, in basically every other respect, Romano has been a, another, you know, huge success for the Jays. He's been excellent. He's he's in some ways improved on how he was last year, and last year he was also really good. But this non-save situation thing is so weird, and I don't know if there's really an answer. Yeah, it's funny because like I'm on the side of we don't need closers, right? Like if it, if it was up to me, you take your best reliever and you throw them in the most high leverage situations, which you know makes sense. But if you have a guy who doesn't pitch well in non-save situations, like would that would that even work out? Well, like it, it should because it's if your talent is there. But I don't know. Maybe it's just like an execution thing. Maybe it's kind of like in non-save situations. Romano's maybe nibbling a little more, whereas in safe situations he's he's really attacking. I'm sure that there's something there. I'm sure he's not sequencing in the exact same way, you know, in a tie ball game as opposed to when they're up. But I mean, again, it's just I just it's hard to comprehend given that he's been really good this year. Yeah, he's well now he's given up runs in three of his last four outings, and the one outing where he didn't give up a a run was a one out save. Yeah. So, you know, worth monitoring there. I think, you know, we were talking about him being an all-star last week and it, 
it's at the point now where it's like, I mean, I'm a, I'm a little concerned about it, but he'll he he'll be fine going forward. Like like you said, he actually his peripherals and everything like that have actually been way better this year than they were. So it just seems like maybe he's just maybe a little snake bitten by the home run and just kind of some some unlucky results. Yeah, it could be could even just be a case of again that home run to fly ball rate. Maybe he's just getting he's getting tagged and the balls are carrying. Like it's just it's hard to know without really you know needling through and looking kind of at everything so it's it's tough to say exactly but i mean it's an obvious trend for sure let's move on to the all-star conversation as we talked about earlier four blue jays make the all-star team vladimir guerrero bo bichette kevin gosman whit merrifield so i said it off the off the top there I mean, I know that second base is a, uh, I know that second base is a bit of a death valley, but I cannot believe Whit Merrifield is a is an all star. It's funny because he was voted in by by the players, right? So I don't know if that's just a case of the players going. Well, Whit has the second highest batting average of all American League second basemen, so we're going to put him in, or you know, if they kind of see some of the defensive value and positional versatility he brings I... the the image the image of mlb players being like oh yes his defensive run saved oh this guy's an all-star is so funny to me you're telling me that name name a player kyle tucker's not looking at it and being like kyle man wit wit brings in some <laughs> great defensive versatility he's um, well actually if you look at his expected uh woba on balls hit in his direction it's actually uh conducive to a uh a three war player which is indicative of a league average all-star given his uh, performance like can you imagine apologies to kyle tucker for that <laughs> <laughs> just doesn't even have doesn't even have glasses or anything it just um... like, attacking this man <laughs> It's it's crazy that Wander Franco didn't make an all-star team and Whit Merrifield did. I mean, like, what, what are you going to say? Although Wander's kind of uh, struggled a little bit of late, but I mean, it's not like Whit Merrifield's tearing the cover off the ball either. Yeah, Wander has the fifth highest F-war in all of baseball. Yeah. And like not an all-star. Yeah, those those MLB players definitely definitely factoring defensive run saved when the fifth highest what F war player, you know, like listen, I'm sure these guys are familiar with fan graphs and baseball reference, but I mean clearly their all-star balloting is uh is based on other factors. Almost almost worse than the fan voting. <laughs> I mean, listen, it's I don't know, man. I mean congratulations well, <laughs> congratulations to all the blue jays that made it i'm happy that they get to go it's, <laughs> it's really cool to see them do this you know wit now a three-time all-star vladdy now a three-time all-star yeah. bowen gosman making their second appearances um really cool for all of them i'm uh sure that they'll all do great at the game yeah we're doing a lot of trashing here but it's very cool well deserved for kevin gosman who uh i think i've said this before but in case it's not on the record i will now sleeper Cy Young candidate he's he's got to be top three at this point if you're i mean if you look at f4 obviously he's the leader i think right now like just looking at it like evaldi would maybe win it maybe framber 
um, just based on, you know, like the actual on-field results in terms of ERA. But Gosman is as close as you can be, no doubt. No, I agree with that. Again, it's the it's the F4 thing. Uh, the punch outs have, have taken a step, which is really impressive, given that even last year he was was a strikeout machine. And the walks have still remained really steady. He continues to command the zone really well. Uh, the only thing that's really different from last year is that he's a little more homer prone, but not even to a to a super meaningful degree. Yeah, he's he's on pace for almost 300 strikeouts. Yeah, he's he's torching. He's he's kicking he's kicking ass, taking names. He's been great. Really fun to watch. All right, one last point to touch on here. If we if we're all done, kind of with the all star conversation, I don't think there's there's much to talk about there. Um, Alec Manoa, double A legend. Alec Manoa, ten Ks against the Portland Sea Dogs last night. How much do you think we can breed into that start? I mean, in his double A debut, uh, but he was uh, pretty good, I think. But also some red flags. It sounds a lot based on, you know, having not watched the game super closely. It sounds a lot like the command was still spotty at times. Sounds like he was getting a lot of swing and miss, which... I mean, they're double-A hitters, so I don't know how much you can read into that. The thing that I saw that was encouraging was 95. He touched 95, which he was doing like in his rookie year. And uh, he's decidedly lost a couple of ticks since then. So to be up there and and throwing really hard is a hugely encouraging sign. Now, I I don't know how much you can read into it just based on the fact that, I mean, you look at his ball strike ratio i i think he had it was about 45 ish strikes on about 80 pitches so he was 57 percent. yeah so it's not like he was pounding the zone which i mean has been the issue throughout the season right he's he he hasn't been able to command the baseball basically he's i think he had like over six walks per nine during you know his catastrophe of a first couple of months um so, I mean, you get that more in line, you know, he's effective, but I'm still a little weary of his command. Although I don't know, again, if that was him throwing fastballs and missing his spots or if that was him throwing a lot of junk. So I guess we'll see. I mean, I, I watched the start and he he looked good. Like, I mean, he looked like he had his swag back. Um, he like was almost just spamming high fastballs and getting swings and misses with it. Um, the slider was okay. Like, I mean, you know, it looked like there was a couple that really had some bite and looked really good. And then there was some that, you know, there was some that he pulled for sure. Um, yeah, like I, I think as promising as you can, as you can get from a double A start, obviously things didn't go very well in the first inning and to start the second inning. But, you know, to see him bounce back, I think, is is really good. And after the FCL start, which, you know, there's maybe some whispers out there that he was only throwing fastballs and really just kind of focusing on location and not worrying about what was happening with the batted balls. So I, I think it's a, a step in the right direction for sure. Yeah, exactly. Right. I, I don't know. I hadn't heard that about the about his FCL start, about it just being fastballs. But, I mean, that would make a lot of sense given that he got dummied. 
yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, we'll see. I, I, I imagine he would make his next start at AAA. I would, I would suspect that he probably gets in one or two more starts. I mean, the way that they've talked about it, they sound like they're they're ready for him to be back sooner than later, type of thing, right? Which I, I, I like. I thought he'd be back, but I was expecting it to be probably more like August. But yeah. it sounds like they're shooting for basically post All Star breakish, right? Like they don't seem to want him down there very long. Yeah, it's funny because I, I. I agree. I thought it would be like August, maybe even September before we saw him again. I am a little surprised at how quick that they actually did move him up through and get him into games. So uh, to, to me, that almost says that they, you know, oh, like obviously they were worried about him because they sent him to the Florida Complex League, but maybe not as worried as I had thought they were. Well, I, I, I think that the Florida Complex League thing was more about getting him to the pitching lab. Like I've always said yeah. that I think, I think that the, the idea was basically to take him to the pitching lab, rebuild him, which, you know, now that he's throwing 95 would seem to indicate that something has changed. Uh, and then from there, you, you, you know, you get him into a game on the complex site, which you would have hoped to have gone better than the way it did. Uh, I think the, the bigger thing was the, uh, was the, speed at which they got him back in a game action i figured that i mean he he goes down about what like probably a month month and a half ago it doesn't go doesn't go down that long ago basically all things considered but he only spends about week two weeks whatever kind of being reclusive right like you're not you know hearing anything and then he gets into an fcl game right which i i thought that it would be a lot longer until they kind of started the process again of, Hey, we're going to get you into some game action and you're going to pitch to live hitters. I figured that it would be a lot more time kind of, you know, figuring out what's wrong with this slider, particularly because especially you mentioned it, it doesn't really sound like his slider is quite all the way back, which is what was the thing that made him so effective. Don't really have much else to say. I think he is, is coming up a little bit quicker than I thought he looked good yesterday. And he did mention in the the post game interview yesterday, it kind of to your point is like the the pitching lab and everything that you know he was able to like see see it and then now he's able to like feel it when something's wrong as well in terms of like hip hinge, kind of stuff like that. So, you know, if he's able to work through that and actually kind of have that feedback feeling, it it could be maybe just a key in terms of like how, how he makes those adjustments on the mound. Yeah. Which I think is important, right? Like you invested all this money in that pitching lab. I mean, it doesn't only have to be Ricky Tiedemann and your other minor leaguers that are taking advantage of it. Right. I, I would hope that the major league guys are able to use it and they're able to kind of go, okay, my fastball is doing this and I need it to do this. Or, you know, my breaking ball is not quite doing this. And I need to do a little this more. I know my hands and my spin and like, that's what it's there for. Yeah, Absolutely. All right. Well, that will do it for us here today at the Bird's Eye View podcast. Thanks again to Elijah Evans for joining us. Really appreciate his conversation and his insight on the White Sox. He is a writer at Just Baseball, Future Sox, and Sox Machine. You can find his work there. You can find him on Twitter at ElijahEv8. Make sure you drop us a follow or review wherever you get podcasts. You can follow us each on Twitter 
Jory is at J Negan Schechter. I am at Warden underscore Zach. And Jake Brannon, who is under the weather today, is at Jake Brannon underscore. Thanks so much for listening, and we will catch you next week.